Hello, hello, welcome back to the Long Distance Love Bombs podcast. I am your host, Dr. Jeremy Goldberg. Today's guest, my new buddy, my new BFF for Evs, Stefano Safendos. This dude is a strong man who walks the walk. He's a men's coach. He's a relationship coach. He's a speaker. He's an online course creator. This dude has a lot to say about modern masculinity, about what it means to be a man, about what it means to be a good man. And we basically just cover all of the topics in the known universe. We talk about the world, the state of the world. We talk about geopolitical problems. We talk about how to get clarity and lean into your discomfort. We talk about personal evolution, social and cultural norms. It's just a wide-ranging discussion about all things human. What it means to be a good human, what it means to get better at humaning. And I really think you're going to like it. Steph is one of these people who exists on the internet, but somebody that profoundly embodies their teachings. This dude walks the walk. He's very grounded, a lot of big ideas, and he integrates a lot of different modalities and teachings into his discourse. It's an interesting episode, packed with ideas. Without further ado, Stephanos Sefandos. Enjoy. All right, man. Let's make a podcast together. Let's do it. Let's make some memories. Yeah. Stephanos Sefandos, welcome to the podcast. Perfection. (laughs) Perfection in poetic motion. Did I nail it? (laughs) I wouldn't say nail it. That's very strong. I nailed it. Uh, it was the best of the previous five efforts that I had before we started Absolutely. recording. Absolutely. I mean, so. And be kind to yourself. It was more like two or three efforts. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Brother, uh, I'm so excited to talk to you. This has been a kind of a long time coming. We've been in each other's kind of universes for a while now, mm-hmm. but haven't actually had a chance to connect. And uh, I'm grateful for your time. I'm stoked to hear what you have to say. We're going to talk about men, masculinity, who knows what else. But for those who don't know you, uh, maybe can you give a little brief introduction of who you are and what you're about? Yeah, I, I love all things relationships, man. I, I thrive in the realm of relationships. So for me, I look at how the most important relationships for me is that to ourselves, that to other human beings, particularly in, in, in intimacy, in deep intimacy, deep connection, whatever, you know, whatever that is for people, because sometimes it's different. Sometimes it's a duo or a dyad. Sometimes it's a triad. Sometimes it's eight people in, a, in an intimate relationship, whatever that may be. You know, everyone has a different boat that they float, so to speak. So, <laughs> um, that, you know, but I, I thrive in those areas, our relationship to our earth, which is our life source and our life support. <clears throat> our relationship to really important ideas and what drives us forward in life or what moves us, what really inspires us and pulls us. And so I I just love playing in that realm. And then, you know, I look at the reality of duality and the reality of polarity as well. And so with that said, I'm, I'm very intrigued by masculine feminine dynamics and basically how we express in the world in balance or in harmony and what does that actually mean? And I'm just, I'm just a keen, keen observer of human nature, human nurture, human performance. 
and and that's they're the realms that I play in. I work with couples. I work with with men in in not so much in the realm of masculinity, but just dealing with men's stuff. And then I I work with women, really helping women understand men as well. Mm. And I I enjoy, and this isn't a sadistic thing by any means, but I really enjoy being in the shadows. And what I mean by that is really going beyond the superficial and the surface in terms of our psychology, our emotionality, our spirituality. I'm a big believer that adversity and challenge is a pathway, not the only one, but a pathway and gateway to uh, optimizing our human potential and actually experiencing our human potential as opposed to just fantasizing about it. And (laughs) understanding society and moving to understand society deeper and our social constructs and how we, you know, we form attachments to, to trauma and pain and fears and how that ultimately drives our lives if it's left unchecked. And so having and carrying fortitude and developing deeper levels of fortitude and resilience and also compassion to go into those places that are very uncomfortable, that's been a lot of my own personal journey. And I believe that is something that can liberate many people when, when they just when they go there deliberately um, and they feel supported in that space and then couple that with some very specific techniques. I think we can, we can free ourselves of the limitations that we place on ourselves. Mm. So we're basically going to have 15 different podcasts I, I, based, on, <laughs> based on your, your and my overlapping interests and curiosities, hey? Yep. Yeah, and I forgot to mention sexuality and love. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just those two minor topics. Just, just throw them in there. Throw them in there. Um, so at the end, though, you mentioned there's a couple key techniques, I think is what mm. you said, to dive yeah. in deep and doing the uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm just intrigued about if you have a few of those off the top of your head. Yeah, for sure. So I'm, my background is quite diverse in terms of my my technical scholastic um, practitioner background um for me there's no one size fits all modality that really assists us in getting any out of our funks if we're in a funk or Mm. assists us in getting to the next level It, it depends on so many so many variables where you are in life what your interests are the actual issue that you're moving through how long you've been attached to that issue what your belief systems are you know what what you've what trauma bonds you've formed over the years most of us have not everyone but most of us have um so i like to couple and and um even bring different techniques and modalities together for example gestalt work or inner child work maybe bring some breath very deliberate breath practice into that whether it be holotropic whether it be rebirthing whether it be transformational breath um depending on who i work with how i'm working with them whether it's one-on-one whether it's groups I'm versed in NLP and hypnosis as well. I, I use journey work, sometimes medicine work, um, shamanic work as well. Again, these are these are more journeying and visualizations, um, and then just just plain not plain old, but psychodynamic work as well, and looking at Western psychology and the role that plays in understanding the mind, human behavior, and uh, and socialization as well. And so. I use different modalities, um, but I'm definitely a big believer in psychosomatic, um, emotional somatic, sexual somatic work. So really bringing in the body into whatever it is that we're moving through or addressing. So not just only addressing it cognitively with the mind. I think that's very important. You know, reframing, rewiring, resetting our belief systems, understanding ourselves, you know, creating a new narrative for self and, you know, 
creating a different, forming a different relationship to our stories is very important. And I believe it's very important to shift that at a cellular level or a visceral level as well through the body too. Because we know we store our experiences viscerally. The the heart has 40,000 or so sensory neurons. Now that, that registers experiences and trauma and pain differently to how the brain and our neurons here registers trauma and varied experiences however there's still a part that it plays and we're understanding more and more of that you know science is understanding that at a deeper levels every day and so i think this somatic connection we've lost a lot of that over i'd say hundreds to thousands of years of our own social evolution and we've lost a lot of that because we've lost our connection to self and i think we've lost our connection to intimate tribal connection intimate tribal um, our place in intimate tribes was so diluted in the world now. We're so, I wouldn't say overpopulated, but we're dense. I feel we're dense in much of how we are in the world. Not a bad thing. It's not good or bad. It's just an obs- my observation. Um, and I think coming back to that level of, uh, I just want to say that, the level of spirit, that level of clarity, that spaciousness that comes from not being so cluttered in the mind, not being so busy, not being so uh, distracted. Mm. I think there's a lot of value in that. Mm. And so when you say bringing the body back into healing, this mm. idea of somatic body work, et cetera, for those who are unfamiliar with that, can you unpack that a bit of like, like what does that even mean? What does it look yeah. like? Yeah. So it can be difficult to explain. I'll do my best. Um, I mean, I can explain it, but that's actually, sorry, it's not difficult to explain. It's probably more challenging to understand and really connect to if you have an experience because it's a very experiential thing. Mm. So it's not a matter of explaining, it's not a matter of the mind. And it's in it, when, we, when we start to involve the body, we're starting to involve the unconscious aspect of self, collective and individual. And so we're talking about an area of our psyche or the way we interpret reality that it's, it's intangible almost and immaterial. So it's very difficult to grasp unless you're doing it. But let me, let me do my best anyway. So breath work essentially is something that anything that's a deliberate practice of controlling or guiding your breath in a particular way. When we breathe, it's autonomic. It's not, we don't think about, oh, I've got to breathe, I've got to inhale, I've got to exhale, I've got to inhale in this way, I've got to exhale in this way. It just happens, right? When we're engaged in any form of breath work, uh, we're being very deliberate with how we're breathing and also while we're breathing. So as example, transformational breath or holotropic breath, which is probably something that's a little bit more popularized or understood by, by the majority. Holotropic breath is, it's essentially mouth breathing. It's a continuous flow of breath. So I can sort of, I'm describing some of the basic techniques, right? It's a continuous flow of breath. So there's no real pausing between the inhale and the exhale. They're quite deep breaths. They're rapid breaths and they're, they're quite fast-ish. Generally, your eyes are closed, you're laying down, you're, you, you, know, you're, you're, you can be propped up where your chest is open, you can sort of be in a bit of an angle, there's, there's loud music. Um, it's quite a esoteric experience. <laughs> now, breath work's not recommended for everyone. We know we're talking about this as a modality now, but it's not always recommended for everyone because it, 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 the contraindications are that if you have respiratory issues, if you have mental illnesses or mental conditions such as bipolar it may not be for you in fact it could be really dangerous and so there's some examples of of, you know if you've had heart issues before high blood pressure you've just got to be careful with breath work but what what that type of breath work does over a period of time with very specific music now other techniques would would have if there's practitioners there they'd be very hands-on 
So they'd be pressing in certain points in your body that represent symbolically, but also psycho-emotionally, maybe traumas that you've, that have been trapped in your body because we, we store, we store experiences in our body at a visceral level. So as you're moving through this breath and you're literally changing your state of consciousness, because what's happening is your carbon dioxide, nitrogen, oxygen levels are changing in your brain. And so you're literally perceiving yourself and reality in the world differently. Right. And so whilst that is happening, you then are able, like plant medicine, you're able to, or, or LSD, for example, you're able to access different paradigms of reality. And that can be really empowering if the setting and the intention is really supportive of that. And so what happens is we're able to access these unconscious memories, these repressed or suppressed memories that are dormant in our bodies and in our being, in our psyche, in the dark recesses of our minds that we haven't been able to access under familiar states of consciousness previously. And so what that does is an opportunity to release that because at some level that still drives our behavior, especially if it's unhealthy. So when we, when we are repeating patterns in our life, like we're attracting a certain type of man. So if you're a woman, as a, I'll use a heterosexual uh, binary normative example. You're a woman, you're attracting a man who is non-committal right? And you keep attracting that. What's actually driving that behavior? What's driving that attraction or that magnetism? It's something that's generally unknown to people. And so we can unpack that in many ways. We can do psychotherapy, counseling. You can do spirit, some expressions of spiritual healing, such as Reiki as an example, like body work, you know, um, you know, shamanism that may unpack some of that, uh, dream interpretation, so many different modalities, right? Psychiatry with medication as well, that may help. And if you combine that with some somatic work, such as breath work, with, with deep touch as well, you can start to really go deeper into your own self. I wonder if you, I explain that. You just, you just had a little twinkle in your eye at the end of that, like, <laughs> like as, if, as if alluding to I like you, Jerry. some Pandora's box just on the other side of that description. I like you, brother, because you're fucking attentive and you're my <laughs> type of guy. So. Um, yeah, the twinkle was that, the twinkle is this. The twinkle is that it can be intensely fucking painful and really confronting to the point where you think you're dying. And if you can hold on, and if it's done in an environment that's really supportive, compassionate, mm. conducive to your growth, and you're really ready for it at your level of individuality, it can be profoundly liberating. Mm. And it's just fucking weird, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's super yeah. fucking weird. I had one, um, I've only had one experience with breath work and it was on a retreat that I was hosting with my yeah. friend, Amber Hawken. I'm not yeah. sure if you guys have crossed I paths. I don't know yet. that name. I do, oh, yeah, I do know She's that She's fantastic. And, uh, and so we're doing a treat and she says, yeah. I'm going to do a breath work session from, you know, two to four and we put it in the schedule and I was like, okay. And so I went to go participate with the rest of the people and we have the yoga mats out and she's doing the Palo Santo or whatever the mystical smell is. And, uh, and she starts talking and I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be some kind of a meditation, right? I'm like, I've, I've like done a lot of meditation. And after about maybe one minute, I'm like, oh, this is different. This is not meditation per se. And then, you know, I go on to have one of the oddest, most surreal experiences that I've had sober. Uh, and like, I can't feel my arms. 
and my <laughs> fingers stop working and yeah. I feel like I'm entirely on cloud nine. If cloud nine was like spray painted gold with glitter and I can't stop smiling and I'm like, what the fuck just happened? I don't remember where I just went to. What is this? Breathwork is bananas. And I should mention that several of the other participants are shrieking, screaming, crying, rolling around, having a very different visceral experience in their bodies and in their minds than I was. Yep. But despite doing the exact same breathing techniques. Yeah. And everybody, despite the crying, the screaming, the shrieking, whatever, at the end of it, after we unpacked it and integrated it for a moment, said how transformative that was, how healing that was, how surreal and how much they needed that. Yeah. And so it almost strikes me as a kind of a medicine in the, in the loose description of that term that kind of gives you what you need instead of like this one, one solution for every kind of person. Absolutely, man. Everyone's experience is very different. Again, it, it depends on so many different variables. Mm. So many, you know, where are you in life? What, why are you there? Are you experiencing, generally, are you experiencing tremendous joy in your life or are you really in a place of suffering? Mm. Who are you surrounding yourself with? What are you, what are you willing to learn? How open are you in, in uh, new concepts and ideas? There's so many variables. And it is a different experience for everyone. And it is, it's a sacrament, man, or a medicine. Um, I like to use the term sacrament, but it's a, it's a sacrament in terms of it will give you what you need. And mm-hmm. for me, man, you know, I've dabbled in, in so many different plant medicines and, and been in that space. And some of the most profound experiences I've had outside 5-MeO DMT has been through breath and simple gratitude practice. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's it's blown, blown my fucking mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We often think that uh, that we need to go into the jungles of Peru to find the shaman with the organic ayahuasca medicine that's been passed down for centuries. When actual fact, like, go somewhere that that feels good, get internal, get inside. Like, you've got all the truths and, and medicines that you need. Everything you need inside right now. Yeah, and it's so cliche. Why why do we struggle to believe that? I think because we, we struggle to trust ourselves. And so we're looking for something outside of ourselves consistently. It's the same as codependence. Mm. It's the same as intimate relations. We place more value in what others think of us as opposed to what we think and feel about ourselves because we've lost that connection with ourselves. We've lost the, the rituals, the regular rituals of connecting to our value and our intrinsic fucking worth. And mm. so if we can't see it, feel it, connect to it, touch it, be with it, embrace it within ourselves, we're going to look for it, quote unquote, outside of ourselves. And so I, I think that's to answer your question very directly. It's that it's because we've lost trust and faith with who we are. And so how do you get that trust and faith back? For most of us, it's a long fucking winding journey of, <laughs> of getting your face dragged across, at least this has been my experience, dragged across rock bottom multiple times until you until you until you you know realize how important your own sanity is and changes we're so scared of change we're so scared of the unknown Mm. you know we're so scared we fear the mystery we do everything we can to be stuck in the familiar because that's safe and we're geared we're, we're you know we're wired for safety and we also live in a time where the majority of us don't really need to experience safety in that way 
Mm. When I say majority, it's the majority of the Western world, not to be naive here or to appear naive because I'm, I'm definitely not in most areas. Some areas I'm sure I am. But, you know, most of us don't feel safe, actually. But those of us that listen to this podcast, um, from, a, from a having your basic physical needs met, most of everyone listening to this podcast has that. You know, they've got mm. shelter, they've got food, they've got water, they've got a bed to sleep in, you know. Um, and so, but we just were running these, these, these programs of survival there. And I think that, again, the busyness and the clutter and the, there's, you know, there's nothing wrong with competition. There's nothing wrong with up-leveling. I think to the scale to which it's done in today's society is more of a burden than a help for us, I think. Mm. And so we, we're sort of coming to a place where we've got to make some choices about who do we want to be in the world and how do we want to be. Mm. It's so powerful is right. Um, as well. One of the questions I often ask clients is simply, what do you want? Yeah. Like, what do you want? Like, what do you want from life? And even that it's such a simple question, but it's so profound because we don't often give ourselves the space or the stillness to really contemplate it amidst the distractions and the entertainment and the busyness and the chores and the striving and the, the iPhones, etc. It's like, what do you actually want in your life? Like, who do you want to be? Right? People will tell you what they don't want very quickly. Yeah. It's that wiring against for the negative, right? Well, we call mm. it negative and positive just to help us understand, you know, compartmentalize because we do that very well. Our brains that does that well. But, but, you know, we'll be told very quickly what we don't want. Or we, we, we can tell others what we don't want. But it's, it is. It's more challenging to say, this is actually what I really want. And these are my values. You know, I've, I've, I've deciphered through all the external values being thrown on me, my, my father's, my mother's, my brother's, my school teachers, societies, the government, media. And, yep, I've, I've realized that I like a bit of that. I'm going to pull a little bit of this. I'm going to take a little bit of that. And this is me. Very few people go through that process. You know, solitude, you, you mentioned the, the stillness and the silence. And that's a big thing for me, man. I think in our world, we're more isolated than ever. Mm. And we need more solitude than ever. Mm. Now, that sounds like a paradox, but for me, it's not. Because I, I, there's a, for me, I, I, there's a distinction between solitude and isolation. Solitude, for me, is very deliberate. And it's something that we do to connect deeper to ourselves. To, to answer those questions of, what do I want? An example would be that rite of passage that a young man would take thousands of years ago out into the desert or into the wilderness and then return and be met by his elders, by his father, his uncles, his tribes, people, his brothers, and be seen in a different light because he spent time on his own in fear, being challenged, contemplating life, contemplating his existence, having to be very present in the moment, having to survive. And through that, being able to thrive mm. and get very clear on who he is, what his quote unquote purpose is in the world. We don't have that anymore. Whereas isolation for me is victimization. It's passive. It's this feeling of despair that comes from multiple fears compounded on, on each other over and over again. I'm scared to be seen. I'm scared to be rejected. It's a, isolation is a modality of convenience. I'm going to stay at home and order, order Uber Eats and play on my video games and watch TV and get up tomorrow and go to work in a, in a small cube, which I drive or in a tram or a train or whatever, and then I'm going to go to the cubicle. And this is a cliche thing, and this doesn't apply mm. to everyone, of course. I'm going to go to the cubicle. I'm going to pretend I enjoy what, I'm do, what I do. I'm going to quickly scurry away, and I'm going to go to the comfort of my place. I'm going to first masturbate. 
Then once I've cleaned myself up, then I'll have something to eat. And, and we just go through these fucking routines, man. And, and we, I think we're selling ourselves short. And in a world where, again, there's so much clutter, I don't mean to be painting a bad picture of the world. I love the world. I love earth. I love, I love life. I love people. Uh, not always. Sometimes they shit me, but that's because sometimes I shit myself. I don't mean literally. I mean figuratively. <laughs> but you know, but that's that's part of the human journey. I mean, I was listening to something this morning. You know, Carl Sagan's pale blue, pale blue dot. Mm. Man, I always say two things in life, right? One, if you don't like peanut butter, I don't know what's wrong. I don't know why you're alive. And two, if you don't shed a tear when you watch Pale Blue Dot, I don't want to be your mm. friend. Mm. I just there's something really profound about the music and the voice and those old 1970s visuals, and mm. and just the way he allows us to understand a massive part of the human condition. And I think we're missing that connection, man. We're really missing that connection, and I think it's there. And I, I feel it's, it's rising and expanding more and more. And that's, that's, that's what really inspires me, man, is that. Yeah, that pale blue dot, I think it's so powerful because it's immediate perspective, right? Yeah. You, you zoom right out and you realize, oh my goodness, like none of this matters and all of this matters at the same yeah. time. And we're yeah. all living on this tiny little sphere yeah. in the middle of black infinite nothingness and we're like fighting about wi-fi signals and imaginary lines on maps and who believes what so how do we try to or how do we deal with this culture of um isolation this culture of disconnection this culture where it can feel really difficult or challenging to go inward into that solitude place get uncomfortable confront your fears etc what advice do you have for people? Well, I, I, I don't know if I have an answer. I think that's a very, it's an amazing question and it's a really loaded question as well. Not that you're you know, purposely trying to load the question. I think it's one for the ages. You know, I think it's, I think it's one that unravels over time. And, and I don't, I'm, I'm wondering with Earth's carrying and caring capacity from a level of sustainability and, and natural homeostasis, how much time we actually have you know um there's so much conflicting science out there you know earth cycles are natural you know global um climate change is natural i think as humans we are definitely contributing to the acceleration of it potentially um and and it's also natural i don't think we're adapting very well as humans i think we could be adapting differently and i think that plays an actual really important role in moving away from isolation because i think it's coming back into a deeper relationship with Mother Earth, with, you know, with Gaia, Mother Earth, Earth, however, whatever, whatever vantage point you want to take. Ultimately, this is our foundation for survival. We can't have this conversation without Earth, clearly. Mm. If Earth is in despair, if our temperatures are soaring and our oxygen levels are, are depleted and, and below the, the rate that they need to be for us to be able to survive, I mean... We can't do these things. We can't have these amazing conversations and we can't do what we like to do, which is wake up in the morning and maybe you have your coffee, maybe you go exercise, maybe you make love, whatever you're doing. You know? We can't do that without Earth as a foundation. So we, we need to bridge that gap of isolation and disconnection. With, I think it's a number of different ways. Part of it is restructuring our belief systems and 
knowing that, yep, it's possible. It's possible to not feel alone and it's possible to not feel isolated. And that's a starting point. I, I work, mm. I work a lot with, with women and women say, I don't, there aren't any great men out there. Well, you're never going to fucking notice them if that's what you believe. If that's what you really believe, you're never ever going to notice that ever. <laughs> so, so, you know, people come, Oh, there's no one out there for me. Well, then you're never ever going to notice that mm-hmm. by measure of your brain and how that functions and your psychology, you're just never going to notice and you're never going to be open to it. So I think our belief systems and being shifting them and, and being curious. Okay. So what does connection possibly look like? Let me be mm-hmm. curious about that. That's a, that's a big starting point. I think we need to reprioritize our collective values. I think that begins from a, a reprioritization of our individual values. That's not to say that, and this may not sound great, but it's not to say that conflict isn't necessary. I think conflict is necessary. I think it's, uh, you know, men from a biological and cultural perspective thrive in conflict and challenge and, and hardship but I think it can look different. I don't think it needs to be nuclear war. I don't think it needs to be world war three. I don't think it needs to be greed in terms of resources. I think the distribution and extraction of resources needs to be more equitable. Um, and there are obvious clear reasons for that. I always take, mm. I begin with a macro perspective and then I, I come down and sometimes I begin, begin with a micro perspective and branch out. But I think a top-down approach of our global leadership and a bottoms-up or grassroots approach needs to occur simultaneously in order Mm. for us to start feeling more connected. So people may say, oh, but the social media and there's billions of people on social media and we have the internet and globalization and we can travel and we're in 12 hours, we're in America to the UK or whatever, and we're all over the place and that's great and we still feel alone. Mm. Most people still feel very isolated and disconnected from themselves and from intimacy, from feeling good about life. So there's something that we're doing that's not quite right. Mm. And I don't know what completely that is. I, I think that we're driven a little bit too much to produce and create at any cost. I think status and the superficial is prioritized over depth and substance a little too much uh, and for too long, for too long a period of time. And we're just going to make some changes and we're scared to make change. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to just bust through that fear and be prepared to be scared. Yeah. And I think some of what you alluded to about the scale of the issues, right there. I mean, there's so many things that we could potentially worry about in yeah. terms of, you mentioned climate change, like that's happening. That's unavoidable. And it's going to be real bad. And you talk about war and all of these grand sweeping ideas that we potentially as individuals can feel powerless in response Mm. to, right? Mm. And so there's that aspect of this dichotomy. And then the other side of it is that we, from what I'm hearing from you, we in our brains and our minds have the power to completely switch the way that we view the world. Mm. Um, You mentioned not dating any available man or or there's only jerks Mm. in my town or whatever. Mm. And it's that. And when you start to consciously choose different beliefs, you see the world differently you behave differently, you take different actions. And if all of us collectively did that, guess what? All of these issues like status and fame and material possessions, those things start to slowly shift. And Mm. I think just to, and on my own personal soapbox, to reiterate to people that we do have a tremendous amount of power to change Mm. the world. But Mm. it, it starts with 
changing our brains mm. and our mindset and how we mm. approach our days. Mm. Uh, and those mm. things will collectively scale up to have a revolution. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I, 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 brother, I, I resonate with everything you've said in the way that you've said it. And I really do believe we're at a point in our existence where you know, the, the amount of population on this planet, where we are technologically, how we bond and connect and communicate. I just think it really requires an individual shift and a greater mm. collective shift to happen simultaneously. And the, the truth of it is that greater collective shift doesn't happen without all of the individuals and momentum gaining play, you know, mm. in, that, in that space. I think for me, I have to remind myself that, you know, a generation ago or a decade ago, we didn't have things like personal development podcasts. Like we didn't have people, quote, like doing the work. I mean, mm. psychology as a whole was not widespread that long ago. You know what I mean? Like, like we've come a long way in a relatively short amount of time. The trajectory mm. is extremely positive. Like we're doing way better than we yeah. used to in a couple of very significant categories. And yes, we still have a shitload of work to do. Mm. And so that's why it's important for us individually to start doing that shit, start having the hard conversations with ourselves and our friends, our loved ones, try to create those changes we so desire. But Steph, you touched upon men's stuff and talking with a lot of women about how to figure out men. And I want to jump back into that open door because mm. I feel like you're really outspoken about a lot of these issues. And I definitely wanted to touch on some of your genius in that realm. So like men stuff, man, what's going on? How do we understand men? What's it mean to be a good man? What do you, what do you want to rant about Steph? What's like lighting your fire lately? <laughs> So, so many things. That's an interesting question that what, is it, what does it mean to be a good man? Um, I, I think there's two questions to ask. I think what does it mean to be good at being a man and what does it mean to be a good man? I think they're two very different mm. questions. And, you know, I, I like a lot of what Jack Donovan says. He's, a, he's an author in the realm of masculinity. He's a, a social commentator, I suppose. He, he um, I don't want to say he idolises, but he... He really values Nietzsche's work. Um, and so he sort of comes from that lineage um, and, uh, you know, he's influenced by many other authors. But, you know, that, that, that question of what does it mean to be a good man and what does it mean to be good at being a man? I think we have to answer the latter first. We have to answer what does it mean to be good at being a man? And so I really feel that going to our biology as a starting point is actually really important. And so looking at how we've evolved, not only psychoculturally, but psychobiologically as well. Well, what, what's been the role of man traditionally? And I, when I say traditionally, I don't mean the last 50 to 100 years. I mean the last two million years, two and a half million years as a humanoid. You know, what, what's been the role of, of males the last few hundred thousand years? And really understanding that and then living true to that within the paradigm of today's culture. Because obviously we live in a very different environmental landscape, right? So for me, an example of that is there's these um, uh, there's these virtues, these these tactical virtues that um, Jack Donovan uh, speaks to, 
And so I've looked at that and I've said, uh, I want to, I want to change these, these tactical virtues a little bit. I want to add to them and I want to, I want to make them mean something a little bit, a little bit more. I want to pull them out and, and just, just help people understand or men understand, Hey, if you behave this way in this space, this is probably the result you're going to get. Not always, but probably. Hmm. And so there's, I have five pillars of, of masculinity and five tactical virtues. And so the, the five pillars of masculinity speak to um, protection, pro- providing, pursuit, procreation, and presence. Now, protection doesn't necessarily mean protecting the weak or the weaker. Um, it's more about protecting one's interests in a way that... So studies have been done on selfishness, as an example. And so when people observe selfishness at opportune times... What in men, what they're seeing is that they actually trust that man more to be a very empowered protector and provider because he knows when to act and how to act. And so when we're driven, because we're driven by biological forces and neurological forces alongside cultural forces, right? We can't deny that. We try to so, so often, but it's, it's a part of who we are. And so as we're growing and expanding in consciousness, our sense of awareness, um, we're, we're learning that we're still influenced by innate, very old neurology and biology. And so that man that can demonstrate selfishness at opportune times, actually, we were talking about attraction magnetism in, in opposite sexes, male and female attraction. We're seeing that a woman is actually very attracted to that, but it's under opportune circumstances. There's caveats to that as well because it exudes confidence. Mm. It exudes a knowledge and a willingness to understand one's environment. And if you have all of these factors in place, plus some others, you then become this leader in your environment. You exude safety, certainty, consistency. That can be really empowering when we're talking about attraction. Mm. And you couple that with a man being quite strong and physically adept, he has good genes for procreation. And we like to think that procreation doesn't drive us, but it does. It does not completely, yeah. but it plays a role, right? Yeah, like we're animals. Well, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's it really plays a role, and we've got to move out of. I don't want to go on too many tangents here, but I think it's really important we move out of this politically. We can be too demeaning and too discriminative as a society, and that's not healthy at all. But it's also mm-hmm. we can also be too politically correct, and we can be overly politically correct, and we we we're looking at at gender and we've got to also move beyond this is a a sexist thing or not a sexist thing. And it really helps to understand that, Hey, there are principles of attraction that are driven by fundamental biology or fundamental evolutionary theory, not completely, but it exists. Can we pay some attention to that and then work it Mm. with the society that we're in? Right. So I'll just go back to these, um, uh, five, five, uh, pillars so protection right so protection is really important because it's really helping us understand as men what do we value what do we really really value um providing and so the providing part is again not only providing ourselves and our community our families communities or those people that matter to us providing them with a very 
clear, consistent sense of self. Um, it's, this isn't about obligation, uh, you know, excess stress and tension. It's about coming from an empowered mindset. What do I need to provide me and the people that I love and care for in order for them to thrive and in order for me to thrive? What's my contribution to my, my tribe? Now, again, if we're being real, we, the human brain can't fathom 7.8 billion people. Being inclusive with 7.8 billion people is a fucking impossibility because there's so many <laughs> variances in personalities and needs and wants and values and culture. And mm. oh man, spirituality, religion, it's just not possible. So you got to start with yourself and your small band of tribe. Mm. I think, I think what, what, what's the number? I can't remember the gentleman that, that set up is about 150, 160 people is sort of our capacity mm. for intimate relationships in terms of our tribe. So we've got to start somewhere small, right? Um, pursuit's important because all men are pursuing. And we have to learn how to pursue what we value, not what others want us to value. So we have to be a self-directed man. Part of that is being confident. Again, multiple studies show that when a man is confident, that is one of the most attractive characteristics of a man, confidence. Because what it does is it, 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 it lets us know that that man is certain that he knows himself, that he respects himself. Now, again, if you couple that, always begin with physiology with men particularly because it's not a superficial thing. It just says so much about who we are. The man that looks after his body, and again, this isn't you have to have 28 abs and 3% body fat and be the strongest man alive or run faster than Usain Bolt. It's got nothing to do with that. It's got more to do with are you physically adept and connected to your body and do you take not so much pride, but do you take honor in your, again, not appearance, but your ability. Appearance is part of it. If you, if you have a natural ability to be fit and conditioned and healthy, it's saying a lot about, again, your genes, saying a lot about the self-respect that you have for you. So you care enough about yourself to look after your body, to look after that vessel that carries consciousness. Because on, on another level, right, if, if you don't care enough about yourself, Yep. Or if you don't love yourself enough to take yep. care of yourself, like how can somebody else trust you to take care of them or yep. to take care of their family or yep. to be relied upon? Yep. You can't Prim even do yep. it for yourself. Yeah. Primal functions, man. Mm. Yeah. And so then in that way, the, the physique or the, the general health and well-being is an indicator of trustworthiness. Yeah. To some I'm extent. Thinking? Yeah. At an unconscious level. Absolutely. That's, okay. that's, what, that's what a woman perceives and sees and feels for mm. sure. Yeah, and it's also attractive for, but the reason why it's attractive is because we're talking about bonding. We're talking about connection and intimacy. We're talking about creating life. Mm. And so I don't think people want to create life with people or contribute to life with people that are maybe going to die in a few months because they look like they're going to die of a heart attack soon. Yeah. I find that too, working with, um, with individuals who want to attract a partner that are seeking the one, they want to settle down, et cetera. And they have this vision of who that person is and the activities that they undertake, right? So they're healthy, they're fit, they go, they work out, they eat well, but then the person that I'm talking to doesn't do those things. Right. And so I think it's a useful exercise to understand that the individual that you're trying to attract, you need to be that person. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody that works out and runs marathon and is a vegetarian, they're not going to necessarily match or align well with somebody that 
sits on the couch all day and eats potato chips and, and dips their Snickers bar into whatever. I don't know. Oh, Do you know what I mean? Sounds, that and sounds yum. It sounds good. Hey, I'm actually hungry, as you can <laughs> so tell. <am> I. <laughs> <laughs> but it's that, right? So, we, so this alignment of if you want to attract somebody that's confident, then you necessarily need to be confident. And the one way that you can do that is to take care of yourself, your body, your physique. Is that what I'm hearing? That's a great, yeah, that's part of it. I think that's a great starting point, brother. I think, mm-hmm. I think starting in the physical, where it's very tangible, is easy for most people. Mm-hmm. I think it becomes something that's e- more easily accessible because it's not in the esoteric or immaterial. Not that that's right. super unreachable. It's just it's just a little bit more challenging for people to grasp, for all of us, myself included. So the physical can be a really good place. And some people might think, oh, well, you're being superficial. Or if a woman is attracted to a man's body, then she's being superficial or vice versa. Well, actually, no. There's some real <laughs> deliberate drivers behind that. Mm. You, you know, and, and confidence plays a big part in this. Yeah, Your one other self assurance. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, go, 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 go. I was going to say one other astra- aspect of the the physical that's really appealing is that it's um, it can be measured very easily. Mm. So, like, how many push-ups can you do today? How many minutes can you go for a walk? Like, how yep. fast can you run a mile? How much weight can you yep. push in a certain direction? Whatever. Yep. It's like yep. write it down, yep. and then come back to it. And in a month, or sixty days, or six months you'll have a different number and you'll see that you're actually getting better in a very easily and quantifiable metric Yeah. versus like confidence or self-esteem or self-love I think can be a little bit more vague and nebulous, very difficult to assess. Yeah. Yeah. And all those things, they, they promote discipline. Mm. They promote discernment. They promote confidence, self-assurance, self-respect because you, you care about, you care about your body enough to, put time into it obviously there's extremes and excessive points on the spectrum right obviously mm. but those those attributes is confidence and and discernment and discipline these are very attractive things to, to very attractive characteristics to have as a man mm. particularly and so i know you you have your five p's and whatnot so like where does it all go wrong like Oof. like you know dismantle the patriarchy stuff like what's going on how do we fix it (laughs) i think i think i think part of where it goes wrong is this prioritization of values because there are different power centers that we have right and so for example wealth is a power center but when when someone that's wealthy that isn't that lacks confidence or lacks certainty in himself Attributes that are probably more important than just having wealth, just a shit ton of money, as an example. Mm. A, a man that doesn't know, or just a person that doesn't know how to communicate effectively and clearly, that is dishonest. These aren't attractive attributes. And so I'm saying this for an example. I think our society has really prioritized wealth or wealth creation at the expense of other values. It's too extreme. Nothing wrong, wrong with creating wealth. I think it's, it's really important for all of us and we can strive for that in, a, in different ways without getting too deep into this. So, you know, re, a resource-based economy is one way to restructure our geopolitical socioeconomic frameworks. But there are many stepping stones that we get to before then. I think part of that is saying, okay, let's look at ourselves as individuals. Let's look at ourselves as, as a society in all the different ways and say, well, what are, we, what are we focused on excessively? 
at the expense of other virtues. And I think if everyone can be really discerning as an individual and look at their own lives and then start to make decisions from that place, that can be super empowering. Now, the difficulty with that is that you're sort of, we're sort of all caught in a culture or a society that it makes it very difficult to leave or it makes it very difficult to be different. Because if you're out of the norm, then you're mm. almost out of the in-group. And psychologically, that can be very harming. We all want to be in the in-group. We don't want to be in the out-group. That can be Yeah, it's a risk, right? It's a big risk, yeah, yeah. But then that's, that's the opportunity. The opportunity, though, on the flip side, the opportunity is you get to develop confidence and discernment and discipline and self-assurance, and you get to develop this deeper sense of self at an even more profound levels of self-love. And saying, I'm running my race and I'll do what I need to do. And I'm going to do some things really differently here. Mm. You get to do that and be confident in that. And it starts by getting clear on what your values are deep down. Yeah, I believe that's a big part of it. Demartini, Dr. John Demartini, you know him? You familiar mm. with him? Yeah. Mm. He speaks a lot to, to values, a great deal to values, the study of axiology. And he, I mean, he's really well known for values and, and um, living a value-filled life. And I really do. I think, you know, he says you, you're, you're, you either drive your values or your values drive you. And you can look at, your, look at your actions, look at what you speak about the most, what you dream about, what you daydream about, where you spend your money, where you spend your time, what you think about, what you talk about with your peers most. But what, what, what is most important to you? And what do you want to be most important to you? Because if you're, if you're saying you want family to be most important to you, but you're spending 15 hours a day work, working, and when you get home, you're speaking about work and you're not really engaged with your family, how important is family with you? To mm. you know, as a as a very uh, brief example, but values I think values are really important, man. They really help drive who we are. Yeah, one way I've heard I think Selena Gray was talking about this in a previous interview was like doing an analysis of, or an assessment of what you spend your money on. And yeah. So you you literally can go through your bank statement every month. And so, for example, if health and wellness is one of your core values, and yet you're spending eight hundred dollars a month at the pub or on takeaway food, yep. you can see where there's that misalignment and you can then make decisions or changes that sort of realigns your actions and your spending based upon your core values. Yep. And like when that's all aligned, I feel like ease results yep. or certainly more beneficial outcomes for your health and well-being. Yeah, for sure. I, yeah. I very much agree with that. Um, all right, so going back to this idea of men, so we've touched upon what makes a man good. Is that right? And what about what makes a good man? I think what makes a good man, and so just to wrap up what makes yeah. a man good, there's those, those for, in my opinion, those five, those five pillars. Yes. Um, so the next one is, you know, pursue procreation and presence. Presence is really important, just to wrap up the five. So yeah. procreation is pretty self-explanatory. And then how we choose to procreate in this world, I think, is important. And that can be for men, it's not just, and for women too, but for men, it's not just biological procreation and having children. It's also procreating ideas, ideating. Because for men, I think men for forever have essentially wanted to be able to create at the level that women create, which is give, give birth, give life. 
and we can't and we don't. We contribute to that process, absolutely. We're an integral part of that process, 100%. Yet we don't, we don't carry the baby, we don't give birth babies. There's a different level of creation and attachment there. I think mm. our contribution to human consciousness is what we create in the outside world. And so procreation for me is what are you doing with the ideas that you have? What are you doing with your quote-unquote purpose? What are you doing with your vision? What are you bringing into the world? And what place is that coming from? How deliberate are you with that? So that's part of procreation. And then presence is just, in short, our ability to be very attentive to where we are in the now moment and almost to be in this, this flow state on, on call. Um, and that's very powerful. Mm. And then, then there's the five tactical virtues, um, which we don't have to go into and that's fine. But to go into the, the, next, the next phase of this, is, you know, what does it mean to be a good man? I think that's a very culturally relative question. I think it's largely predicated upon being good at being a man and actually harnessing that and mastering mm. that. And mastery is actually part of the tactical virtues where, we, you know, as men, we, we go back to mastery and our self-worth and our sense of self, our self-esteem, one of the, the conditions of that is predicated upon our contribution to our tribe in the form of our mastery. What are we bringing mm. and contributing? And so many of us, I think, are just caught in this mundane blasé loop where it's just, oh, we'll get by. But I don't think we're here for that, man. I don't think we're here just to fucking mm. get by. I think we're here to really thrive. And in order to thrive, part of that is being masterful at a craft, using our hands as men, mm. but not being sedentary. And so that's a part of it. But what what is to be a good man, I think it's a very culturally relative term. And the example I often give is that of a suicide bomber, not to be too dark, too dark right? I, I didn't anticipate that. Metaphor. I didn't think you did. Okay. Based yeah. in your face. Okay. <laughs> but, but, but think of it, think of it this way, right? Think of it this way. Or maybe I'll, maybe I'll use a lighter one. I don't know. I know. I like, I like where you're going. We, you, good. you keep going. Let's go. Okay. okay. <laughs> so he, he goes and does his thing and, kills many people, injures many others. The, the sect and the, the organization that he comes from or the, the religion or whatever group he comes from praises him and says, this man is honorable. This man has done the will of the work of God. This man is bringing peace to our society. This man is doing what he's here to do. We honor him. We value him. Mm. That's what's happening, right? Now, the, the victims or the people that have experienced that death and the, the, the family and the friends and the community around that are saying he's weak, he's a coward, he's not a hero, he's a murderer, mm. he's not a good man, he's evil. Now, yeah. same fucking act. Yeah. Nothing's changed, intentions are the same, everything's the same, yet you've got two very different groups seeing something very different they're seeing the same physical act of a man going somewhere and blowing something up however they're interpreting it very differently mm. the way i've heard that described uh i think it was mastin kip and he said uh imagine a hypothetical band of rebels that unite together to try to overthrow the evil empire mm. right and he's like it's star wars yeah we all love Luke Skywalker. It's yeah. like, and it's Al Qaeda, it's ISIS, right? So from a different lens, you're seeing the exact same thing completely differently. Mm. It's wild. Yep. Yeah. 
so that's a more complex question is my point actually yeah, that's what fair. does it mean to be a good man right so it's a more complex question are we ever going to find this middle ground of unity consciousness with 7.6 billion people 1 billion people 2 billion people 100 million people 10 million people no i don't think we are i don't think we yeah. are hopefully though i mean like <laughs> there's part of me that's like yeah but like surely we can agree that on on a few unifying traits that like a good man like does no harm or you know uh is compassionate or so let me give you an example and it does okay. no harm okay right? so a good man does no harm oh jeez so, <laughs> <laughs> you're at home yeah. you're with your you're with your family oh gosh yep i love mm-hmm. you you're at home with your family i do you're at home with your family and i, I want to pitch you don't have children do you at this point no Let's you want assume. Let's, I do. Yeah. Let's assume yeah. that I've got three daughters under the age of six for this hypothetical. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. And you've got three daughters under the age of six, and another human being, maybe two, break into your home, threaten you and your family, threaten to kill you, and they're serious. Threaten to harm you, your your beloved, your children, in the most gnarly of ways. And there is an opportunity for you to do harm to them in order mm. to mobilize them and protect you and protect your family. Now, I'm going to assume that you actually did harm. I'm not going to ask you whether you do or don't. I'm going to assume that you did harm. Mm. Does that make you a bad man? Because if you're not a good man by default, you're a bad man. Well, even if you're, okay, even if not by default, you're a bad man, let's just say you're not a good man because you've done harm. I think, yeah, I think there's a spectrum, right? And, and yes, so perhaps I need to amend my, my Ten Commandments of being a good man. <laughs> I actually don't think you do. Here's, the thing, here's why I don't think you do. Mm. Because I think you're fucked if you do and you're fucked if you don't. And that's my point. That's interesting. I, I ju- yeah, I, I think it's so subjective that we get caught in a loop of trying to make it objective. And we get caught in a loop of trying to make it, it's a one size fit all. And I don't think it is. Mm. I, just, so, I just, like Immanuel Kant says, the philosopher Immanuel Kant gives an example about lying. And he gives, a, he, he gives this example, by the way, where you're at the door and you're at your house, you open the door and a man puts a gun, someone puts a gun to your head, it could be a woman, whatever. Um, it could be someone that has a different pronoun, whatever. They put a gun to your head and they say to you, is your child upstairs? If you lie to me, I'm going to kill you. And the child's upstairs. So what do you do? If you have a fundamental thing of not lying, your fundamental truth of being a good human being is I will never lie. What do you do? I have no idea. Yeah, neither do I. That's the whole point. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the whole point. He's, he's, the example that he gives, and I'm, I'm slightly out of context here, but the example, context to our conversation, the example that he gives, it's a conundrum, man. And that's why I mm. think that subjective question of what does it mean to be a good man, I think we just need to keep it in the realm of subjectivism. And you're right. I, be, I agree with you completely. It's a spectrum. And mm. we're, we're human and we're going to be on that spectrum. Man, some of the things that I've done in my life, they're not quote-unquote good things. Do I consider myself a good human being? Yeah, I do. I really yeah. do. Am I going to do things that aren't always good? Yeah, probably. Yeah. 
Yeah. So then maybe the idea might be to, for, for us as men or for us as humans to strive to be better than we were yesterday. A lot. Right? Because in the same regard, yeah, I've done some shit that I look back on and I'm like, mm. oh, bro, why? Would you? Oh, no. Yeah. Right? And like, that was me then. And I was doing the best that I can because we yeah. always are. And yeah. me now knows better, has experienced life more, gets it on a more fundamental mm. level, would make different decisions now. And so mm. in that regard, like, am I a better man than I used to be? Certainly. Mm. And perhaps that then becomes the aim. Um, for each of us individually, like, are we better at being humans than we were in the past? Mm. Like, maybe that's enough. Mm. I, I honestly, man, I think it, it's, I equate that to, you know, people being in, and you probably get this when clients come to me as well, whether it's in a larger group setting or, or a more intimate one-on-one and that, that they're really in a, in a great deal of despair and pain mm -hmm. and they want a way out. Imagine you just giving them this 33-step roadmap to getting out. They're just going to go, whoa, way, way too much overwhelm. And, and realistically, it's probably more like 60-something steps. But you're not going to give them all that, are you? You're going to give them one step. You're going to mm. just give them one step and say, this is what you do now. I'll tell you what to do next. I'll help you with what to do next. Give me feedback on this. Be with this. Stay here. This is one step. Here it is. Maybe mm. two. Maybe two. If they're intimately connected. But you're not giving them everything because it's going to be too overwhelming. And so I think what you're saying is that one, one you know, can I be better, more proficient, whatever language you want to put around it. Can I be a deeper version of me, a more uh, profound version of me, a more confident, whatever it is that you're after, you're searching for, you're, whatever it is that you want to, can you just be a touch better than you were or a touch more connected than you were the day mm. before? I think that's a really good start. Yeah, and just being gentle with yourself too, I found to be a really powerful mm. idea. Like, yeah, you made a mistake. Yeah, you screwed up. Yeah, you're not where you want to be. Like, just chill. Be gentle. It's okay. You know, we're all trying to figure this out. And I think as you suggested, it's all a conundrum. Like, you're fucked if you do, you're fucked if you don't. Like, we're all trying our best to figure it out and get to where we want to go and like yeah. it's all we can really do yes Steph yeah I, 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 I resonate with that yeah where can people find you on the internet yeah so on the interwebs um, the googles and the, the dot coms you can find me on stephanosofandos.com uh, Instagram stephanosofandos Facebook stephanosofandos um, LinkedIn's the same it's a bit of a mouthful but um, hopefully you'll put it in the show notes <laughs> I will I will man but any, I'm, there. Uh, I'm around any, in the ether any final words of wisdom or insights for somebody listening right now that's on their path trying to figure it out or dealing with a man that's driving yeah. them cuckoo up a tree well, firstly, brother, I just really appreciate your time and, and who you are in the world and, and what you give and what you do. And I, I really mean that from the bottom of you know, the depths of me. And thank you for that. And thank you for this opportunity to just, just jam with you, man. I, I feel like I've really made uh, a friend, another friend here. And this is the, the advent and the beauty of technology. So thank you for that. Um, and and I, I suppose what I would say is I say this often, Jeremy, and it, it means a great deal to me. Willingness. It's a very powerful word for me personally. And I would just say wherever you are in life, to whoever's listening to this, 
I think you'd be listening to this at the right time and it's for you. I think that's what life is really about. We just, if we take a moment to recognize that, we realize that it's all for us in that sense. Um, and I don't mean that from an immature, selfish place. I mean that from we're willing to connect in that way. Willingness. You know, when I decided very deliberately and clearly to be willing in my life and to be willing to explore the unknown, to be willing to explore my pain and my past and my traumas and the unaddressed issues that I had and my relationships that weren't really working well. And I was willing to look at myself and who I was and how I was being and how I was behaving and showing up in the world. When I really assumed that level of willingness, my whole life shifted for the better in a more positive way. I started to expand. I didn't feel contracted. I came less from fear and more from courage, more from curiosity and openness. My heart opened, more amazing people came into my life and the relationships that I had even that were existing became more enriched. And so willingness for me is just, it's everything, man. It's the foundations of, of life and, and relationship. And I think if you're a man listening to this, um, willingness is so important for our explorative nature. And if you're a woman listening to this, willingness is so important for you in terms of how you break free from what you think is really constricting you and limiting you. And that's a human thing as well. It's not just a gender thing. Um, but there's also elements of that too. So just willingness has just, it's been so powerful in my life. And I, I wish it, I wish that people find their own version of willingness in order to break free from what no longer serves them and be in a cycle of repeat that, that, that they just don't resonate with. Mm. I love that, man. And that word, as you said, it's not talked about enough. Mm. And, and also I would suggest as uh, just to add on to that with humility from my part, because that was really beautifully said, like a willingness to embrace the, the darkness, to, a willingness yes. to be uncomfortable, a willingness yes. to have the hard conversations, a willingness yep. to lean in, like all of that stuff that you really don't want to do. But deep down, you're hearing those little whispers, like speak up for yourself. Don't take that. Like, quit your job, whatever. The willingness to embrace the unknown and uncertainty, I think, yeah. is crucial. Yeah, definitely, man. Brother, um, you're such a gem, man. I really appreciate you and, uh, and what you're putting out in the world. And if you're listening, if you've never heard of this dude before, I would say check Steph out. To me, man, you're one of the, the few out there. Or not the few, but you're, you're one of those who is like walking the walk and actually embodies your teaching and is leading by example. And, um, and I really appreciate that in a world of superficial Instagram influencers and people trying to sell you the seven steps to bliss. I feel like you've got a really grounded approach to life based on your experience and your teachings, man. And, um, and thanks for what you're doing. I Thank you, brother. Thank yeah. you. I really, really appreciate that. All right. So now that we're best friends and we record no. a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, man. Um, that's it. Any final, final words? No, no, I'm, I'm good, man. I'm just, I'm glad that we've connected cool. in this way. Uh, I'm, cool. I'm really happy that I've been able to serve your audience in this way, um, in whatever way, whatever that looks like. Even if I instill some, hey, I don't agree with what the fuck he just said. Great. Yeah. Curiosity. Be willing to venture into that. You don't have to agree with me and let me know as well because I'm always evolving and refining my ideas too. So yeah, yeah. I'm super happy for that as well. And I, and I just really appreciate you too, brother. Yeah. Cheers, man. Interesting dude, right? Big ideas, lots of interesting topics that he has in his wheelhouse. As with other episodes, I've included links to his Instagram, website, Facebook in the show notes. 
can click those, check him out online, Stefano Sefendo. And uh, I'm also going to include a link to that pale blue dot video, that Carl Sagan one that he mentioned at the beginning of our chat, because it's worth watching. And if you've already seen it, it's probably worth seeing again. It's a very profound little short glimpse of life on this pale blue dot that we all live on. That's it for me. As per usual, I so appreciate you being here. I appreciate your five-star ratings that take one minute to leave on the internet but make a profound difference in my life for the better. So thank you for those. And if there's anybody in your life that you think would benefit from this conversation, this podcast, etc., please do pass it on. You can find me online at Long Distance Love Bombs. And I love you. I think you're magical. Go be that big, shiny, glowing human that you are deep down today. Be willing to be yourself as Steph would say.